only after coming to know what DNA was and is, was the progress in the world of genetics able to be made. Knowing about DNA allowed for scientists and researchers to dive even further in discovering what makes humans unique from the rest of creation. Knowing DNA led to a freedom in furthering our knowledge of the building blocks of who we are as humans. Furthermore, it is only when someone comes to know God when they too can begin to find a new freedom. Finding freedom allows for Christians to be awestruck by the amazing facets of God and everything He has for us beyond ourselves. Finding freedom in God is finding freedom from our past, our present, and our future situations and allows us to dive further into our worship of God. Thus, we further recognize the building blocks, the DNA of who we are as Christians. Good morning. It's great to see you today. Before we jump into continuing this discussion, this conversation about uh, what does it look to be a Christian, what are the D- what's the DNA of a believer, a Christ follower, I want to just take a moment of celebration, all right? A kind of a, one of those uh, uh, just, hey, let's celebrate together. A lot of you have been asking uh, about uh, uh, Greg Heath. Greg is Candy Heath's husband, our office administrator, and a uh, series of things uh, began to happen to him, and by Wednesday evening, um, late, uh, just to be quite honest, it was, uh, was kind of touch and go for him, uh, and I mean that touch and go, like touch and go, like ser- very serious on life support, and um, just want to, you know, we just started praying. Uh, over him. I know you were praying for him. Just praying earnestly that God would, would work. Again, always uh, in, 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 in trusting and depending on the goodness of God, right, and his wisdom, and, but believing that he calls us to pray earnestly in those times. And uh, man, yesterday he's eating, he's up, he's alert, he's in good shape, and uh, I just think it would be great to uh, just celebrate God's healing power and his goodness in our lives. Can we do that just for a moment? And it's just a reminder to us that in these moments of crisis, when we're up against the wall, when we don't have a lot of maybe hope in certain things, that God as our Father calls us to run to him and depend on Him, and trust and believe in Him. And our first response should always be prayer. And I just watched that work out this week. I just want to remind you of that, kind of give you an update, because a lot of you have been asking, been aware, but uh, just thank the Lord, and we celebrate Him. Again, we're in the middle of this series, um, or we're starting into this series, just four weeks, but kind of uh, the spiritual DNA of a Christian. The DNA of who we are, right? We have been introduced to this whole world of DNA. And when I say those three letters, 50 years ago, they meant nothing to you. Like, what are you talking about? Now I can say DNA, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. The formation of who we are. The genetic code of what makes us us, right? Um, it's, 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 
it's crazy. I, I challenge you to, to Google it or, I don't know about Wikipedia, uh, even Wikipedia, it's not all true, but right? Um, just understanding how vast our knowledge has, has uh, become about how we're wired in this expansive genetic code that makes us us. Right? In fact, 99.9% of, of us, we sh- if human beings, share the same genetic code. It's in that 0.01% that we are different. And we see a lot of differences, right? Just look around the room, and there's really hardly any two of us alike. That's how vast genetic code is. Like, 0.01% can be different, and that's all we see, right? It's amazing. And so we're translating this over to, okay, so what is the genetic code of a Christian? And we, we center around this, what makes you you is what God wants to do with you. There's an amazing uh, thing with genetics that um, there can be some improvements, developments, some changes. And what I would like to share with you is that God has, has, has created us in his image. Something has gone vastly wrong. We're all very aware of that. And yet God in his love and mercy has provided a way for our genetic coding to be restored. And what he shares in his word is how he's going to do that and what he wants to do with us. How he wants to restore us and what our genetic coding looks like, right? That's what the word is. Um, It's it's his truth sharing this plan that God has for us. And God's plan consistently through scripture for us is remaining the same. It's like Genesis 3, there's a fall. Genesis 3, he's already making a, a promise And then we consistently see through the people, the children of Israel, the calling out of Abraham, and and the work through the prophets, and then finally culminating in the person of Jesus Christ, that his plan has been resolute all along. It's looked, we see a picture, a shadow, or a foretaste of it in the children of Israel. But what God wants to do with us has always remained the same. I find confidence in that. God hasn't changed his mind somewhere along the way. Oh, I want to do this, but I changed my mind. No, he, he has always known what he has designed for us to experience, this beautiful uh, uh, design of his. It, it's, it's always been there, right? I would borrow from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that before the foundation of the world, okay, God designed for our lives to be holy. God's plan has always remained the same. And, um, and so how does that happen? What, what, we are all very cognizant of the fact that something has went really wrong in our world. How do we experience God's plan? And it's remained the same. And so we're borrowing from actually the Passover feast. And, and listen, the scriptures have a lot of ways to say the same thing. It all comes back to this plan God has for us. But there's a lot of different sides to the diamond, right? I look at it through this side, this prism of the, you know, wow, I see God's plan. And then another guy shares a little different. So we're taking one thing, but we believe that it's consistent with all the teaching of Scripture that God's, what God's plan for us is. And we, we're borrowing from that Passover feast, that meal 
where the children of Israel are celebrating God bringing them out of slavery. He is, it's called the Exodus, right? Uh, there's a whole book called the Exodus in the scriptures. And it's, it's when God, uh, who has started a people who have fallen into slavery, who he wants to now bring them out of slavery, of Egypt, and take them to the land he has always promised through the person of Moses leading them, right? You remember this, and we touched on it last week, and I don't want to spend a lot of time with it, but um, it, it, it's it's. In the after this happens that the children of Israel would celebrate and they still celebrate every year the Passover meal as they remember what God has done but we see in what God did for them it's a picture it's symbolic of what God wants to do with us remember he's using the children of Israel as kind of a prototype for the grand plan the grand design is the people of God the church the Jew and the Gentile and God who consistently acts uh, the same is showing us and how he brought the children of Israel out of slavery what he wants to do personally in our own lives and, and all through scripture, this language of slavery and the thought of being in Egypt and being enslaved, being brought out, being taken to the promised land, experiencing what God wants to do, a people in a land declaring and showing his glory by living through his will and his ways, uh, that is for us. And the scriptures give us this picture and this, this story to help us understand what he wants to personally do in us. Um, and it's in this what they do at the Passover meal every week, or every, every, every uh, year, what Jesus would have done uh, celebrating the Passover, in fact, on the night in which he was betrayed. That Thursday night, that last supper, he would have, he would have done this. And in that meal, they, they, they drink four cups of wine as they remember the promise of God and what he was going to do for his people. And it's in these I will statements God makes promises, and they celebrate what he has promised he would do. And to me, that's a launching pad for a God who consistently remains the same. These promises to them are God's promises to us. He continues to echo these and actually uh, develop these even greater for us. And in this, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out of slavery. Right? I will do this. And they would take a cup and they would drink it. Then he would promise, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now this sounds like a redundant statement. Like you already brought us out of slavery. How are you going to free us? Is that a double freeing? And I would say, absolutely. There's something we need to understand about what it means to be free from slavery that he is communicating to us that the scriptures spend a majority of time talking about in the fact that yes, there is a freeing, there is a new position in our life, there's a new reality in our life, there is a new life in Christ Jesus being brought out of being bound and slaves to sin, sinful lifestyle, uh, all of this stuff. That's kind of the picture of coming out of Egypt. But guess what? God is, is realizing that the, wor uh, the work that needs to be done in us is there is this, I bring you into a new position, but experientially, practically, everyday living, there is a sense where freedom needs to go much deeper in your life. Slavery is broken in a greater way than just your physical circumstances right and i will free you from being slaves i will redeem you we're going to talk about that next week 
Justin's going to talk about that next week. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my people. And so what we've done is we've just grabbed a hold of what I think uh, is a good way to remember God's plan. It's to know God. It's to find freedom. It's to discover purpose. And it's to make a difference. That was God's plan for Israel. But it's God's plan for everybody. Because God consistently has the same agenda. To make us holy. To create a people that declare his glory and are light and salt in the world. They're a city on a hill that cannot be hid. It's his work to set us apart to him. And, and, right? Amen? Are you with me? I feel like I'm talking really fast. I need to talk really fast. Okay? You don't want to know how many slides I have. Okay? But keep, an account of, keep me accountable here. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Right? That's what God wants to do. And I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to restore you back to your original purpose. So now that you're free, now that you've brought out, been brought out and freed up, now you can realize what God wants to do. And in that together, everybody discovering their purpose, we all of a sudden have a community called the church. Back then it was the children of Israel who make a difference in the world for God. Pretty cool stuff. Just got to be honest. Um, here, I watched this, this video this week, right? Um, I get home from service, and last week we tried to talk about knowing God. And the only way you can know God is you cannot earn it, you cannot develop it, and you cannot make it. You and I are, we, I don't want to use that word. We're hopeless. Right? And we saw that the only way to come out of slavery is that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, comes in and makes us alive. Amen. Right? And in this understanding, it, it, it just absolutely KOs the idea of religion. Knocks it out. This is not a religious gathering. This is not a religious thing we're doing. This is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And that only happens when the living Lord comes into our heart. That's how we know God. Right? And uh, so we, we talked about that, that the coming out of slavery is something that I cannot work hard enough, pull my bootstraps up enough, you know, get after it enough. Good luck with that. You're going to stay in slavery. You can't do it. You won't get out. The only way is a living God coming into your heart and knowing him, right? You must be born again. You must become a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's something you can't make or create. You can only open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ coming in. And it creates this dynamic now of a living God in us. It's amazing. But as I went home, I sat down after preaching that. I'm, what was I? I don't know what I was watching. What was it? Sunday afternoon. Um, the NFL hasn't started. Today it starts, right? So, um, but uh, I think I was watching baseball or something. And this commercial comes on, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's exactly kind of. You've been seeing these commercials, right? Right? We're familiar now with these genetic testings. We can do 23andMe. I was like, man, that's exactly kind of what we're talking about. And the reality in that video is that 
all of us know that our genes, uh, there's something that's misfiring a lot of times, right? I want to say amen. Those of you with diabetes or, you know, we, we all struggle with this. Our, something is flawed with us. There's this grand plan. It looks so good. And yet there's something that is flawed in our human body. And we, we recognize this. So now you can get testing so you can get ahead of this and try to restore this. Protect yourself from it. Your gene, your genetic code is flawed in this area, right? I'm thinking, wow, that's exactly what I want to talk about today. Because a building block of understanding who God wants me to be is an understanding that God brings me out of slavery. God takes us out of slavery to then take slavery out of us. He takes us out of slavery. He makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus. He does what we cannot do, which is always through this whole process. It's it's his spirit energizing us. But he, he calls us out quickens us, makes us alive in Christ Jesus, brings us out of the slavery to sin to begin a ongoing, thorough, beautiful, the promise of Scripture, the most hopeful thing in the world, to then begin to take slavery out of us. (laughs) You see, I want to make sure I stay close to my notes here. The narrative in the story of the children of Israel is it doesn't stop with the Exodus. Then comes Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Fun stuff. They had changed locations, but they needed to have a whole new reprogramming of their minds and lifestyle. Again, I would take you just for a minute as we will look at them, but think about the New Testament for us. Think about God's teaching specifically for us. If it was just step one to know God, then we would have about a third of the New Testament. Gospel writers introduce us to Jesus. The epistles teach us this core doctrine of justification to, you know, enter into a relationship with God. But if we just stop there, be about a third of the New Testament, we'd be good. Why in the world is two-thirds of the New Testament centered on not justification, but our sanctification? You see, God's design plan for us. We get stuck, and there's whole denominations that get stuck on justification, right? It's an immature approach to God's plan for our life. And it creates immature people who, when Barna does numbers and their churches, they live exactly like they did before Christ. Because they've gotten stuck on the entry, they've stopped in the doorway, and they don't. Most of the scriptures are written for our sanctification. For this point of finding freedom in Christ. Of not just slavery being brought out of slavery, but now slavery being taken out of us. Are you with me? I'm a little worried today that some of you are going to be like, you're using big words, and I don't like that. <laughs> finding freedom from the, just, sanctification is simply fighting freedom from the slavery mentality and its bondage, hurts, hangups, and confusions. Think about the Israelites. They were set free, but most of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you see a people 
who live discontent, frustrated, fearful, anxious, bitter, resentful. They weren't really free. Their location had changed. But yet, the process of slavery coming out of their hearts and minds was still ongoing. And it was a tough thing. I mean, you, look, you read through the story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there's, 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 there's a tough road, right? Again, a lot of the reason why they, they, they struggled so much is because in slavery, they had become used to the physical comforts and conveniences of Egypt. At the time of the Exodus, Egypt was one of the most advanced civilizations on earth. And those who lived there enjoyed material benefits, even the slaves. And they got used to that way of living. And all of a sudden, God is drawing them out to a new way of living that is actually going to have a better outcome. And yet, in having to deal with some uncomfortable realities in their life, having to face up to, this isn't what I'm used to. This isn't how I've been. This isn't who I was. It really created a discontentment in their heart. One of the biggest things about the children of Israel is they grumbled and complained all the time against God. Think about the miraculous things he had done for them. The exodus, the Red Sea, the, the pillar in the cloud, the manna from heaven, the walk from water from the rock, unbelievable things. And yet these people who have been set free are living with a slavery mentality. They've gotten used to a familiar routine in Egypt. They, they got comfortable. Um, and their wilderness experience seemed to magnify what was an Egyptian mentality, a slave mindset. They had been born in Egypt. Their lifestyle had been, more, had been molded by Egypt. They had learned Egypt's way of life, their language, and their patterns of thinking. They thought like Egyptians. They acted like, they act like Egyptians. And God needs to set them free. Guess what? People and places have changed. The story remains the same. Right. You and I are on this ongoing dynamic of God wanting to bring freedom into our lives from the sinful, self-centered, worldly patterns of living and thinking and acting and believing. And you and I can come to Christ and all of a sudden we have this new reality of being a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I would say now you are on the road you have put yourself in the place through the power of his Holy Spirit in you to experience what it means to not only be brought out of slavery, but to have slavery brought out of you. That's why we're a holiness church. That's what holiness means. God doing a thorough work in us. Where Romans 8, 29, we become the grand plan design of God in a few words. We can be conformed to the image of Christ. And I want to tell you, I, my new life started in Christ. I don't know if I want to admit this. 22 years ago. And he is breaking me free more and more and more. And I'm finding freedom in him. That's his plan for all of our lives. You don't expect somebody to be brought out of slavery and all of a sudden think like a free man. 
You can, you can listen to the stories of even the slaves from the 1800s who lived in slavery for most of their life, and all of a sudden they were shown freedom, and it was tough for them to think differently. They just had this natural disposition. And sin has so co-opted our life in such a way that even when Christ comes in, there's a work of his spirit now to bring us free, make us free, to help us find freedom. And so let's look at this. God breaks them free from slavery when he, he's doing certain things. Remember, they're, they're acting out in a slave mentality with the golden calf. Moses hasn't been down from the mountain for 40 days. They've been called out into this wilderness desert. Their leader's gone. What is their go-to thing they do? What they've always done. Think about your own life. How it's so easy to revert back to what you know. What you have worked in the past or seemed to work for you. What you think works. And so they're like, we're out here on our own. Let's, let's just build a calf like we did in Egypt. Slave mentality. Slave thinking. Worldly heathen perspective and mindset and worldview. And all the while, while they're doing that, what is God doing up on the mountain for them? He's preparing the word for them. Because he knows that the primary way that you and I are broke free from slavery is the word of God. It's such a stark contrast. They're worshiping a calf, and he's on a mountain giving them the thing that's going to break them free. Right? He gives them his word. He gives them a supportive community in his word he begins to share how together they could experience freedom through a community that keeps one another accountable a community that sports supports one another a community that is there for one another a community that together encourages and strengthens one another i mean his law is built around jesus said love god and what Love others, because in loving others, we experience this togetherness that God always wanted us. That's why the New Testament is going to use this phrase, one another, so often. And part of finding freedom from slavery that is inside of us is together we experience a freedom. I can't get free without you. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. I need you to help me, and you need me to help you. And so in his word, the word that he gives, and then he builds trust through his provision. He just continues to provide for him, provide for him, provide for him. And so let's move this to the New Testament. What about us? I see this picture in the Old Testament. God takes him out of slavery, and then he spends an unbelievable amount of time sharing with them the word of God, the words of God, the way of God, because his primary purpose in our life is to not just take us out of slavery, but to take slavery out of us. And if that's what he does, then he mirrors that in the new covenant, in the new word, through Jesus Christ now, the final revelation of God, the hope, the, the, what we need and we see in his word that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he unleashes the spirit into the world that renews us, makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. But then he is going to begin the work of find, giving us freedom through our whole lives, through every area of our lives. 
to be freed up to look like Jesus Christ. To be freed up to break free from the chains, the bondage, the mindset, the pattern of thinking of sin, of Egypt, that does nothing but keep us enslaved. And so this is what it looks like. Look at this. Jesus said these words. I love this. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. That's what we're talking about here, right? He says this. He was saying this to Jews, and Jews said, what do you mean we need to know the truth? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone, which sounds stupid because they've been slaves over and over and over, right? The Persians, the Romans, the, the Greek, you know, all these groups, they've always been slaves, it seems like, for the last 700 years. But in their minds, they always felt like even if you capture us physically, we're not slaves to anything. We're God's people living by God's word. We don't see ourselves as slaves. And Jesus goes right to the heart of that and says, listen, they say, how can you say that we will be set free? We're free. We're free. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He says, I want to introduce something new to you. I want to get to the heart of this matter. Truth sets free. Slavery brings sin. And in essence, he was looking at them and saying, you guys are still slaves to sin. And you need to be set free by the truth. That's God's plan for all of us. Through his word to set us free. It's what Paul, when he's culminating this seminal work in Romans, would say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So that you may prove, what, be able to test and prove what is God's will. His good, pleasing and perfect will. You see, places, locations, people have changed. The story remains the same. God brings his people out to then set them free within so that they can accomplish and realize God's purpose for their life. And that's why he shares, you need to be free and the truth will be what sets you free. It starts in this way. Paul in Ephesians says, I tell you this and insist, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles in the what? In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're darkened. So he's talking about thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. Another mind word. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to insult in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you what? Learned. Thinking. We taught you something different. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to get out of slavery. You became new creatures in Christ Jesus, and the work of slavery coming out of you has begun. And that, that, that old life of slavery is the old self. It's corrupted by deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. 
This is a core verse in understanding this freedom concept in the New Testament. And he keeps going back to this thing. And to put on the new self created to be God in true righteousness and holiness. It's obvious that what needs to happen in the life of a Christian is our minds need to be reprogrammed. You need to be reprogrammed. I need to be reprogrammed. My genetic code needs to be reprogrammed. That's what it means to start finding freedom. It starts by reprogramming your mind. I would remind you that for us, slavery exists because of three things. Obviously, we are enslaved because of sin, right? I would remind you, though, we're also enslaved because of wounds. And we're enslaved because of unbelief. I think this is mirrored out in the children of Israel in the wilderness. This is the story of humanity for all time. God wants to set you and I free. Not only take us out of slavery, but takes. Have I said that enough today? I'm really hoping that one of you sets up in your sleep tonight and says that phrase. God wants to not only take me out of slavery, but take slavery out of me. He wants to truly set me free. And the things that so often captivate us is obviously sin, but then also wounds, hurts, and unbelief. And this is why in Romans chapter 6, we begin to understand the process of how God sets us free. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For 10 verses in Romans chapter 6, as Paul has done a beautiful job of diagnosing humankind, through five chapters, what it needs, what need, you know, we, we are, no one's righteous, no, not one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, we are a broken world, Romans chapter one. Romans chapter five, though, he introduces, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, this knowing God, right? And now he moves into, now that you're in Christ, what needs to happen in you? You need to find freedom. You need to experience now slavery coming out of you. Slavery is, in a sense, our sinful lifestyle, our sinful habits, our sinful behaviors, our sinful decisions. Sin always destroys. Sin always binds. Sin always enslaves. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Sin is what moves us away from the presence of God. Amen? Are you with me here? Amen. Okay. And Jesus, or Paul is, it's just so beautiful, man. That God has just unbelievably made sense in his process, in his plan. And he says, now that you've experienced this new life, I want you to know something that needs to happen inside of you and inside of me. That we should be no longer slaves to sin. If you were to read Romans 1 through 10, 6, 1 through 10, you would see that word know 
a bunch of times. Don't you know that Christ did this? Don't you know that he is that? Don't you know? And it's always this mood in 1 through 10 is in the Greek, it's called an indicative mood. It's a statement of fact. This is reality. This is what's real. This is what's true. You need to know that. The lies, the systems of this world, you need to see through that and know the truth and the reality. That Christ has died, risen, and in him you have the possibility and the potential for a whole new life and existence. And he keeps saying, you need to know. No, no, no. And he says, you need to know, for we know that our old sin was, our old self was crucified with him. And then in 11, the mood changes. It's not statement of fact. And this is the first time in Romans, like Romans 1, 1 through 6, 10 has been kind of setting the stage for you. This is what you need to know. 6, 11, the tense begins to change. This is what you need to do with what you know. Imperative mood now. It's command. It's not, hey, here's some info, FYI. It's now, with the information you've been given, this is how you need to act. In the same way, he uses this word, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This word is reckon, if you're familiar with the King James. Count or reckon. It's an accounting term that means to calculate, to carefully consider. Now that I know this information, I am going to clearly and thoroughly understand that because of the victory that Jesus has provided for me in his life through the power of his Holy Spirit, now I can realize victory in my own life. It's not only statement of fact, but I reckon you come from where I, I can't, okay, okay. I was, um, I was not hillbilly, right? It's an agricultural Midwest. They don't talk with an accent. They're just very down to earth, much like Northwest Ohio, right? And, um, it, but if you, you know, like where my wife's from, like, yeah. Mountain mamas. I always joke, she's my mountain mama. You know, West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. I'm not sure she appreciates that phrase, but but like you go down there and they will say words like, well, I reckon. And what they're saying is something a little more significant than I know. It's like I know the fact and I reckon that this is what I need to do. That's what this is kind of like. There's a process of knowing, then counting. That's why Jesus said, when you follow me, you count the cost. You see the reality. I'm ready to jump in because I see exactly what you can do. It's not haphazard. It's not impulsive. It's not, it's like, I now count myself. It's a deep conviction and belief that because of what I know about Christ's power and victory, I know now that that's available for me. And he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. And then he starts to use this language. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do not you know that when you offer yourself to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has claimed your new allegiance. And Romans 6 does such a beautiful job of showing us, all right, I need freedom in my life. Jesus, you've given me a new life, but now I need to, I need to get free. You've wanted to break me free from every chain of sin. You've wanted to break me free to experience now then your purpose and your life for me. And sin is the major cog that stops me. It enslaves me. And Romans 6 says, listen, you want to know what? You can be free. It's by knowing, by counting, and by offering. Presenting myself. Surrendering myself to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's like this. Uh, let, let me just use uh, uh, me for an example. You like that, right? So I come to Christ. Um, I have a, a, a big temper, right? I get angry. And I sin in my anger. There's a righteous anger and there's anger that doesn't sin. Yeah, that wasn't me. Okay? And I see that in my life, my new life with Christ, I read the scripture. I know I see the truth that God doesn't want me to be an angry person. He doesn't want me to blow up and rage. That's not Christ-like. It's destructive. It, it, it tears relationships apart. It's all just self-centered. I'm frustrated. My expectation hasn't been met. And so I'm just going to blow up. And everybody around me is like, ah. it's destructive, right? It wasn't that I saw somebody being beaten and I got angry and moved in. That's righteous anger. Justice. This is just Self-centered. And I realize I, that's not God's plan for my life. That's, that's a slave mentality. That's Egypt. I need to be broken free from that. I knew it from the word of God. The truth showing me what it means to be free. But then I began to realize that God could, through the power of his Holy Spirit, begin to work in me to break that free. And I began to count or reckon that it actually could happen with me. I began to believe, right? You look at athletes, you do what in the locker room? You create an atmosphere of belief. You can beat this team. It's so important that when you walk out on the field, there's confidence that you are, can play to a certain ability. And I began to believe, I guess I don't have to be an angry person. That can be for me. And then I began to surrender myself to the Holy Spirit. First of all, it started by a lot of, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> That's an act of surrender, confession. 
I just blew up. Most of the time, I just kept going on my way. Now, all of a sudden, I have a sensitivity to that sin, and I start to say, Lord, forgive me. Please forgive me. And then, after a while, my I'm sorry kind of started at the front end of my anger. Uh, Oh, I don't have to do that. And I started to offer myself, okay, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden, I went from an angry person to someone who is not dominated by anger. I'm not going to say I haven't sinned in anger in the past year. Sometimes on Saturdays in the fall. You know what I mean. It's not a perfection of life. But what Paul talks about here and what First John talks about is the habit, the dominion, the mastery of my life. Is sin's broken. That's what it means to get free from sin. But the scriptures also say, for I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Isn't that amazing? You're full of bitterness and that's, that's like hand in hand with captive to sin. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to trouble many and defile many. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. You see, what happens is what also keeps us bound so often is wounds, is hurts. What we've experienced in this life, even after we find Jesus, we, it's hard for us to get over how we've been treated. Or even after we found Jesus, we still get mistreated at times, right? And what can be a prison for us is bitterness, resentment, right? And part of getting free, the scriptures are very intentional about showing us that not only is sin's power broken, but often a part of sin is bitterness, but the wounds, the hurts that have happened outside of you. Sin is what happens inside of you, but what happens outside of you to you creates wounds and hurts, and it's so often easy for us to become bitter and resentful. And he's saying, listen, God wants to break you free from that. In fact, this is how he breaks us free. Constant interaction with the word, consistent confession, Because what Jesus, or what the scriptures share, we talked about this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Part of finding freedom is confessing to God and to others your need of his grace and help in your life. Constant confession. And then he said, don't be full of bitterness but be kind and compassion to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ. God in Christ has forgiven you. See, I would just simply remind you of this. How do, am I going to break free? How am I going to live free? Well, it comes from the truth. It sets free. Constant interaction with the word. Consistent confession to God and to others. Confessing my faults one another, praying for one another. And a grateful forgiveness always. Every situation, being willing and ready and quick to forgive. This keeps me free from the chains, the life of bitterness and resentfulness and anger. When I realize that I'm forgiven and what I've done against God is much greater than what anybody has done against me. And I've been forgiven. And God calls me to gratefully forgive everybody. This is how we live free today. And so this, this morning, 
God wants us to find freedom. Finding freedom from sin, the slavery of sin, by knowing and counting and offering, surrendering our lives to Him. And this is the work of God through Him just doing His work through our lives. And you and I are on that road of finding freedom. And so in front of you is a piece of paper and a pen. I really want to make this very tangible for you today. Every one of us, including myself, recognizes that God's truth is continually teaching me how the slavery mentality needs to be out of me. And I want you today to take a piece of paper and a pen and as act of consecration and surrender, an act of belief and trust today, I want you to write down what do you need to break free from today? Because some of you are like, this is it? I need a book. Just one thing. Just one thing today. Take a step. But would you write something down that you know you need to be broken free from today? Would you write on paper as an act of faith, not just I heard the word, I walked out the door today and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to take this serious today. And by faith, I'm going to write on paper something that I need to be broken free from today. Would you do that right now? Because God wants to always bring freedom into our lives. That's what he's doing. And I'm going to invite you to stand with that piece of paper. And we're going to sing. Band's going to lead us. And I want to finish with just a song and you just coming forward when you're ready. And we have three stations here, baskets. No one's reading these. Don't freak out. Would you just drop that in as an act of consecration? That I believe that God's plan designed for my life is to find freedom. To always be free. And Lord, I want you to continue that work in my life today. And I actually put something down where I know that I need the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to break me free. Would you stand? Would you sing together with the band? And as you feel ready and serious about this. Just approach one of these baskets and drop it in as an act of consecration, belief, and trust and faith that the God who brings us out of slavery is the God who breaks slavery in us. He takes us out of Egypt to make us a new creature completely. That by the time the promised land comes, we are ready to discover the purpose and make a difference that God has for us. Let's sing together. Would you respond? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me.
design and plan of God is to continue to set us free, free from slavery, free to be who you created us free, free to mirror the person and the actions of Jesus Christ. And that happens as you break us free from sin, from wounds, from unbelief, Lord. Would you continue to do this work? And those things today that we brought toward to you, would you break us free? May this be a day that we can look back on and say, I wrote it down, I believe, I'm trusting, I'm looking, I'm offering myself to you. And I am gonna find freedom in this area of my life. Thank you, Father. Go with us. Make us a free people. Always, always, always in Jesus' name. Be blessed this week.